So hi, this is Mike Edelhart, and I'm here with another edition of Inception, our podcast about beginnings, the beginnings of companies, new ideas, of careers, emerging science, and maybe even from time to time, a peek into the future. And today I'm here with uh, Ali Rodriguez from Unbound. And uh, I have to say, uh, you know, it's easy to say when you do these things, one of our more interesting portfolio companies. But in your case, it really was. Uh, the conversation we had about Unbound and about you was uh, a real eye-opener, particularly, well, for all of us, but particularly for us old white guys that are running the fund, because uh, it was our younger female partners who essentially came in with your brief and said, you're going to do it <laughs> or are you going to be um, those guys? Are you the old white guys we thought you were open and actually responsive to the information in front of you? Or are you going to go to your comfort zone? And uh, so great to uh, be here and uh, looking forward to having a chance to chat. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. So it's probably a good idea to tell folks what Unbound does, but I guess the question I'd ask about that is, how do you describe it? So we talk at the Fond Sum about femtech, and we talk about female pleasure products, and we talk about sexual wellness, and we talk about women supporting women and everything having to do with being women. But you're kind of in the woman business, so what do you describe the business as? Yeah, I think it... It really depends on who I'm talking to. I think generally we describe ourselves as sexual wellness. And I think wellness as a vertical in an industry has gotten so big now where maybe like five, six years ago, wellness was kind of this term that people used, but they didn't really understand what it meant. And I think tactically, some because a lot of times people even still will say, well, what does sexual wellness even really mean? And we make sexual wellness products, specifically vibrators, lubricants, and accessories, which my mom included. A lot of the times people are like, you do what? Um, because it's not something that I think historically we've talked about openly um, when it comes to sexual health. And so the whole goal of the company has always been, how do we take a massive category and elevate it both through the products that we design, but also the brand and the content and what we're putting out there. So I guess that makes sense. But I also wonder, is that being a little careful? I mean, is it wellness to help help yourself, allow yourself, uh, give yourself permission to have uh, a whole bunch of pleasure or is it just pleasure? I see it as wellness. I mean, I think fundamentally, as we look holistically at what health is, your sexuality and your sexual identity is, is core to that. And I think that while sexual health and pleasure can be a conversation that requires vulnerability, ultimately, it's such a massive part of our existence that is undeniable in the sense that none of us would be here without it. And for all of us, hopefully, it's a part of our life that we think about, we acknowledge, and so I think historically, we've tended to kind of push these conversations to, you know, back rooms and, you know, behind closed doors. And I think part of bringing it into that wellness mentality is having more open conversations about it. Yeah, that certainly happened at the fund when, <laughs> no, it, it's it's true. And it, it's interesting. Uh, uh, we 
as a fund, pride ourselves on reacting to what's in front of us. In other words, if the uh, facts are that uh, women are supporting women and everything related to being a woman, which is true and predated the Me Too movement and all that, we're going to react to it. Uh, but uh, we had this classic uh, conversation in a partner meeting uh, around you and others in this category where uh, it came up and, you know, I think most of the folks listening to this know, but I'm an older guy, I got white hair, I've been at this for decades. And my first reaction was that uh, historical antecedent. It's like, uh, can we be, uh, you know, sort of uh, quiet and special here? And the younger female partners just went at it. In other words, oh, the orbs are so much better than the wands. And 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 my reaction was, you know, we're all here listening, right? And their reaction was, well, don't you want us to explain the important aspects of the product like we would any other product? And I found myself going, oh, yeah, I guess, sure. Uh, but th the whole attitude was different. It was like, why shouldn't we just talk about this right out loud? Right. And I mean, I think when we look at the venture landscape more generally, there are several examples of massive companies that are more farmer-related, but that focus on male sexuality that have raised tons of venture capital. And I think it's interesting to hear the specifics of kind of how decisions get made and what the types of conversations are, because it's a really good example of, ultimately, it sounds like a large part of the reason why the investment was made was because you have these women stand up in the room and champion, you know, the product category and say like, this is a need and there are, this is the criteria we need to think about, which I think one of the questions I would have for you is, do you think if those women hadn't been in the room, would, would the conversation still have taken place? It's a great question. I'm, I don't know, but my instinct is that if they hadn't been in the room, it wouldn't have happened. But my instinct is also us being us, they were in the room and there was a point. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, we get it. I mean, Bill, the founding partner and I talk a lot that it doesn't matter what we think. I mean, we're old, we're white, we're male. We know what we know and there's a tremendous amount we don't know. And the future is going to be determined largely by what we don't know. Not us, younger than us, uh, 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 gender different than us, uh, culturally different than us, experientially different than us. So we have to open ourselves up to that or all we're going to do is make narrow old white guy choices. And those are almost by definition suboptimal choices. And that's not what we want to do. But that's why that's so important. I think one of the things that set the fund apart was the fact that there were women involved. And I think as we look across the board, there you know, only 9% of venture partners are women. And I think this is such a like poignant example of why, why it's crucial and, and why it's great that there are women in the room when the decision was made. Yeah, I, I'm sure that's true. And, and for us, of course, uh, we have Japanese partners, we have Chinese partners, we have Chinese women partners. Um, we're looking at diversity in the broadest sense, not because we want to be do-gooders, but just because it makes sense. If we get all different kinds of point of views. PhD, we have five PhDs. We have PhD points of view and non-PhD points of view and older folks points of view and younger folks points of view. The potential for the group to come to wise choices goes way up. And we're big believers in that. 
I had a conversation with somebody yesterday uh, uh, apropos this, where it looks like I said in that conversation, I'm not sure the women are ready to take over the planet yet, or the planet's ready to be taken over by women yet. But I think we're getting damn close. And the reaction to the prime minister of New Zealand's response to that shooting, I found really remarkable because no male leader would have reacted like that. Those images of her with the uh, headscarf on, surrounded by other powerful women with the headscarves on, mourning. Uh, and the reaction I saw, particularly among women, I saw women's back straighten up and, and uh, around me when they looked at that, it's like, yeah, that's how it's done. And I think, you know, you and everyone in this arena are part of something really big. I think so. I'd like to think so. I think that women, and obviously we're making very large generalizations here, but the ability to create consensus and build community. And I think what I've witnessed is women do well in those environments. They care very much about agreement amongst the group and proactive communication. And I think that, yeah, the New Zealand prime minister is certainly an excellent example of that. Now, Theresa May, arguably not as great as a, of an example, but she also was dealt, dealt a, a pretty rough card. <laughs> Talking about a bad night of poker. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, uh, that's about as bad as it gets, though. The I guess the aspect of femaleness that she may be showing is an extraordinary tolerance for pain. Yeah. yeah. I think a male prime minister probably would have dumped that job and uh, split town uh, some time ago. And she clearly is determined to bring it to some outcome uh, somehow. Yeah, uh, sure. Yeah, to the point of out reaching out to her arch enemy. You know, you said earlier uh, about why we made the investment. Uh, uh, we actually made the investment primarily because of you. Oh, well. I mean, it, you. well, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, and uh, that's often true with us. So, I mean, you're not the only CEO in this area. We met with a lot of them. Uh, and uh, and we sensed in you an energy, a commitment to this, a willingness to tell us and yourself the truth that was uh, unique among the folks that we uh, met with in this space. It's when your product is sexuality or sexually oriented, it's pretty easy to do interesting rhetoric. And I think it's a lot harder to actually do all the heavy lifting necessary to conceive, make, and deliver products that are going to produce value. Yeah. I mean, that's very kind of you to say, I think it's, it's an industry that from the outside looking in, I think sometimes seems a lot easier than it is. There are so many institutional barriers. And so I commend any founder in the category, honestly, because everything from opening a bank account to finding a credit card payment processor to, you know, being prohibited from advertising on a lot, a lot of platforms requires, you know, it's a certain type of founder that's willing to figure out how to get around those obstacles over and over and over again to start a business in this category, which it's increasingly frustrating to see, you know, that female sexual health and wellness products face these barriers, whereas a lot of the erectile dysfunction companies or condom yeah. brands or more male-focused companies don't face those regulations. Yeah, let's talk about that a little. I was flabbergasted when uh, I started seeing that. So I 
again, I'm in my 60s, so Roman probably hits me up uh, <laughs> five, six times a day or something, which is ridiculous. Uh, and nobody stops them. And it, you guys, the whole class of uh, products in this area, you've had all kinds of issues. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. When we go to the root of the problem to try to understand why one is deemed acceptable and one isn't, it actually is based on biology. And while I disagree with how the policies are written to provide clarity on it, the way it's communicated to me is that all the policies are written such that if you're focused on family planning is the terminology that's used, then that's acceptable. But if you're not family planning, then it's not. And where this gets complicated is because biologically speaking, in order for men to procreate, they must orgasm. Their pleasure is a component of that. Conversely, for women, biologically speaking, those two are mutually exclusive. So a woman technically can procreate right. without an orgasm. And so as a result of that, the products that we focus on, which are focused more on pleasure, which we believe is synonymous with wellness and health, um, that doesn't fit into the way the, the rules are written. And so that's how everybody from Viagra to Roman to Hims are able to advertise while we're not. Which I guess has a certain internal logic to it, but the logic is sexist on the face of it, right? I mean, who says that family planning is the core concept and, and who says that family planning as a concept has anything to do with personal pleasure? Right. And I doubt that those like men that are in their 50s that you see in the Viagra commercials that are like throwing a football, like I don't, I don't think they're family planning in that moment. I think they're probably advertising those products with the understanding that most people that are engaging in sex are doing it not necessarily always to procreate. So I think there's the real there's the way the rules are written and then there's the reality of the situation. And I think when we get on the subway and we see all the advertising for, you know, erectile dysfunction drugs, it's it's important that there's the other narrative for women because visibility matters and when you don't see these products in existence, we, I think, are furthering the narrative that they only should be discussed behind closed doors. Right. And I think that the way Unbound and other companies in our category present the products is elevated to where I don't think it's inappropriate for them to be advertised. It's illogical. I mean, that's the thing that drives me nuts. So if I understand these rules and you went out and said, Unbound. It's shaped like a penis and you will get no pleasure from it whatsoever. You could advertise that anywhere you wanted. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> it, I mean, it is kind of that way. And I mean, yeah. The subway, when we submitted our artwork, which was, you know, the New York subway is kind of notorious for this. Previously, in years prior, Thinks, which is another femtech right. company that makes right. menstruation products for women, they submitted really beautiful artwork and the MTA felt it was inappropriate. And so Thinks created this grassroots, grassroots movement to raise awareness about the fact that these are basically just, you know, 50 products that 50% of the population uses. Why are they considered inappropriate? And they were able to reverse the decision. Conversely, we weren't when we sub submitted our artwork that wasn't graphic, didn't have any nudity, didn't have any photography. It was just artwork. Um, the MTA said that was inappropriate the same week that they allowed hymns to plaster the subway with these penis-shaped cactuses. And it was just, you know, it's one of those situations where you're sitting there asking yourself, am I crazy? Like, am I going insane? Because I can't understand how one of these is acceptable 
and the other isn't. You have to do the pun, or at least I have to do the pun. I can't resist. So penis-shaped cactuses, I guess they wanted guys to feel thorny. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I suppose it goes all the way down to the puritanical roots of the mm -hmm. country uh, in some ways, but it's just bizarre uh, to me. And I can't imagine how it's going to hold uh, from the experience I've seen among young women uh in my experience, and it's a pretty broad experience because I meet entrepreneurs, I meet other investors, I'm running all over the world seeing folks. And my sense of women at both ends, uh, younger women whose attitude is, you don't get it, dude. Uh, <laughs> uh, this isn't all about you. I mean, it's seriously not all about you. We just shut up and get out of the way and let us take care of this stuff. It's, it's an arms akimbo. There's a little bit of an edge of anger about mm -hmm. it, which is I'm holding myself back, you know, because I kind of like you, but as a class, you guys are not such a much. Um, and older women who um, um, there's, uh, I said to somebody earlier this week, if somebody can figure out how to harness the power in 50 plus women gal pal networks, mm -hmm. um, you've got uh, a lot of power there. It's there's really something uh, um, unique in that sisterhood. Yeah, I'd be curious to ask you because you've seen so many trends and movements in the startup world generally. Does it feel different? I mean, can you feel, does it palpably with regards to just not only just women, but the focus on diversity and, you know, both on the VC side of the table and the founder side of the table, it does feel to me, like there's this increased focus and conversation on why diversity matters. Does it feel like it's changing to you? And, and if so, what feels different? And I'd also love to hear if there have been previous moments in time where you felt like there was kind of a renewed focus on this. Oh, that's a great question. Uh, you know, uh, entrenched power structures don't like change because change always raises the potential that the power structure can be displaced and power structures don't want to be displaced. So um, change, in my experience, tends to come in a kind of odd, elastic way. So nothing's happening, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. Boom, the wall comes down and people are dancing on the Brandenburg Gate. And, and these kinds of changes happen as well uh, in that way. Uh, because of the pressure of uh, uh, the entrenched to try and hold it back. My sense now is that that's happening here, that the, there is an inexorable worldwide, unorganized, but uh, broadly felt sense among the world's female population that it's damn time to take over. And if the guys don't get it, the hell with them. The New Zealand uh, uh, situation uh, is an example of the way the current uh, freshman class of uh, young uh, female uh, uh, Congress members is coming in. Uh, polite, sit at the, I don't think so. Are you listening? Because I represent uh, a whole universe of folks you guys have never thought about. And uh, uh, how many of us are there? How long are we going to be around? And Nancy Pelosi's... Uh, recent behavior, which is 
You dudes forgot what a politician is like. You want to see what a professional politician acts like? You 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 want to play poker with me? Really? <laughs> you know, if you look at her and compare her to John Boehner, they're from different planets. And in my sense is there's a lot of that going on all over the place. I, I'm not sure how it's going to come out. Why? Inevitably, I think 51% of the population is going to win if they choose to. The The closest correlative, I guess, for me is when the uh, gay movement emerged. It was the same sort of thing. I've been in New York long enough to remember the covert get-togethers in the alleys under the West Side Highway, the, the, the furtiveness of it all. The, you know, I live near the Castro now in San Francisco. The uh, desperation, the, uh, the, the indifference of the general population, the fear of coming out. And it built and built, and then it just kind of exploded. Uh, and I think this has a similar, it was a net, it had to happen. There are too many people involved and uh, their lives were uh, too constrained. Uh, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if something similar starts to happen in Africa. Mm, uh, interesting. Uh, Can you elaborate on what you mean by that? It's... Uh, bigger than three other continents put together. It's full of natural resources. Uh, the population on the ground isn't anything like mm -hmm. what a lot of people think the population on the ground is like. There are a lot of really cool young people in Africa, well-educated young people, uh, entrepreneurial young people who uh, look around at the power structure around them and go, this is a bunch of crap. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think they're determined to transform their local situation. And by transforming their local situation, they're going to transform that continent. And if that continent transforms, it will adjust the power centers of uh, the world. And uh, money flows to opportunity. Opportunity comes from change. And Africa, I think, is going to be a center of change. Yeah, it's been so interesting to study. I was a uh, economics student in college and one of I think one of my areas of interest and passion is the dynamic between a government the economy and entrepreneurship right. and I think one of the things that's interesting in Africa is there has systemically consistently been governments that either you know were not democratically created, were not reliable, and even when aid would be funneled into those countries, the government would bungle it up, either by allocating right. it to people who shouldn't have received it. But I think that it's interesting now to see entrepreneurs. It's, it's just been interesting overall in the United States and Africa, all over the world, to see how technology stepped in in a big way and almost created a sense of democracy through the private market, which philosophically, I don't, I wish it could be government and economics yeah. that would allow for that democratic reality. But I think it's been fascinating to see how smartphones have enabled entrepreneurship in these places. Oh, yeah. It, it, Jana is a pretty good example where, yeah, and the government didn't just bungle it up. They stole it. Right. And not just the governments, but the whole infrastructure in many cases uh, up and down was designed around bakshish and everybody gets a little taste and the dribble that gets to the end is hardly worth the effort you know and jana 
was a startup from some years ago, still around, that allowed uh, uh, folks in Africa. So a lot of these families in Africa may not have running water, but they have phones. And, uh, and they allowed commerce to get to them on the phones. They could answer surveys and, and they got value in the phone. That value in the phone was the only currency in those countries uh, back when John started that got to the individual without being touched by every ward healer and uh, snake uh, uh, out there. And com- individuals began hoarding value on their phones because it was private. Uh, they could uh, do things with it. And uh, I think those kinds of capabilities are transformational uh, uh, and all around smartphones. Why smartphones? There is no network to do the old fashioned stuff. So mm-hmm. it has to be smartphones and it has to be satellite based because how is she going to get it to people? And that in a way is an advantage, right? So 5G is a pretty good example. The U.S. is going to be behind on 5G because we have all this historical infrastructure to move forward. If you don't have it, just go to 5G, <laughs> build all your towers for 5G, set the whole country up for 5G. And suddenly you go from being behind to being ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, which has happened in some areas of Asia. Same reason, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, economics, huh? I never yeah. would have thought. Oh, I, I mean, I love, oh my gosh. I, yeah, studied everything from, I was the Keynesian economic theory to Austrian economic theory. I have a lot of bones to pick with libertarians. I think to be a libertarian is to be a luxury because the world needs social infrastructure. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I worked for, I studied economics and I worked for a senator on Capitol Hill, Claire McCaskill. I oh, okay. Missouri originally. And I've always kind of wanted, I think a lot of entrepreneurs feel this need to create change, right? Like we all I, idealize ourselves to be catalysts of change. And I think initially I thought I could do that through government. And I got there and I loved working for this democratic female senator from an incredibly conservative right. state, my home state. And it was heartbreaking to just see, I worked specifically on the Affordable Care Act and I had lost healthcare coverage at the time as a result of getting cancer. And it almost like financially destroyed my family. And so I got to DC with, you know, this idealistic view of how I thought I was gonna change the world. And it was just heartbreaking to work on the legislation and everybody would be like in consensus. And then we'd go home and the news cycle would kick up and then we'd go back the next day and everything that we agreed on was thrown out the window. And I just couldn't bear how slow the rate of change was. And I think that it is exciting to see more women elected into office because I think that they are not, they're, they're, I think, standing firm. And as opposed to when I was there, when the news cycle would make people double back on what they had said, I think people aren't as afraid anymore. But it is frustrating to see how slow change occurs in governments relative to entrepreneurship. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think it's true of your generation, too. Uh, there's a sense I have that uh, the rising generation's attitude toward government is if you can't help, get out of the way. And uh, so the example I use is it hasn't happened yet, but I'm starting to feel like at some point, uh, in the middle of the Sahara Desert, they're going to be super surprised because hundreds of thousands of young people just showed up, set up acres of solar panels, hooked them up, and then looked at the local government and looked at the world and say, okay, there is now enough power being produced for everybody. What are you going to do about it? Just because it's easy. Everybody knows how to do it. You could 
power the entire planet in an area that's just a little teeny tiny chunk of the desert. And I'm feeling that sort of growing frustration, which is, to hell with it. Let's just do it. Let's just solve the problem and break some China and we'll figure out uh, how to uh, normalize it after. But can we stop uh, just talking about this? Can we stop rolling the uh, ball forward from one generation to the other and uh, uh, change things? Uh, which in part is kind of what you're trying to do. So government, economics, female pleasure. Uh, <laughs> um, so 10 years from now, what's unbound? 10 years from now, mm. what's poly? Oh, well, I, I am confident that unbound will be that catalyst for change with regards to being a household brand name. We've had Trojan and Magnum and Viagra and all of these very mainstream brands for male sexuality, I Unbound will be that for women, femme, trans, non-binary people. I think equally, we deserve a household brand name that has body-safe products and well-made, you know, beautiful items that we're not that don't make us feel embarrassed or ashamed. And I think in a world where, you know, our public schools in the United States, only 13 states in the United States require sexual education to be medically and scientifically accurate. Really? So, yeah, yeah. So the, the short answer is it, it'll be that household brand name, I believe. And I, and I also believe that on a greater scale, it will take sexual health mainstream to where it's not so taboo and inappropriate to talk about this aspect of our lives. And will you still be running Unbound at that point, or will it be Senator Rodriguez? Oh, at that I don't know. Point? We'll have to see. We'll have to see. Um, hopefully, I'll still be running in. I mean, I, again, as I mentioned earlier, I think the reality of the world we live in is if you really want to create change, I actually do believe that it's the private sector that is the better vehicle for it, right. fortunately or unfortunately. Yeah, well, look at Gates. Um, you earn your right to some degree to do good works by creating value and then translating that value uh, into change. Uh, and uh, that may be more the case in the future. Yeah, we'll see. We could do this for hours, but we yeah. got to stop. So <laughs> thanks. Great thanks. to see you. Thanks for giving me a chance to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for having me.